Good morning. If y'all would, please turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Piper. So on June, June 23rd, 2018, after soccer practice in Thailand, this group of 12 boys on the team and one of their assistant coaches decided to go explore this cave that was nearby where they were practicing. And they went inside the cave and they went far enough in the cave that they were kind of figuring things out and then a sudden rainstorm hit and it was such a big rainstorm and it happened so quickly that the cave immediately began to flood and the whole team ended up being trapped in that cave. And the clue was like they didn't show up from practice and so some of the moms started panicking and calling different people and no one was answering their phone and then somebody, one of the kids didn't go into the cave and actually had gone home like he's supposed to and told them that, well, they all went into this cave. And so somebody went to the cave and they found all their bicycles and some of their shoes outside the entrance of the cave. And so then everybody realized they had gone in and you couldn't even get in. The water was already so high that you couldn't get in. And so it took, rescuers took over a week to even find them. So there was no contact with these 12 boys and their coach for over a week while this massive rescue operation develops uh, on the scene. And you've, you've probably heard some of the story. I don't know how much of the details you got into with that story because it, it was just absolutely crazy. When they finally found them over a week later, they were two and a half miles from the entrance where they went in. I had no idea that until I started reading some of the story. Two and a half miles they had gone into this cave. And that's where they found them. And so it was, it was almost an impossible task to get them out. And the, the rescue operation ended up involving over 10,000 different people. A lot of them were volunteers, but there were 100 professional expert divers. Uh, the United States sent some expert military divers over to help. There were 2,000 soldiers. There were 900 police officers. 10 helicopters were involved because they were co constantly circling the mountain trying to find another way into the cave, maybe a crack or something where they could drill down to them. It was just this crazy amount of people and resources and attention to this. They, they started pumping water out of the cave, but it kept raining, but they kept pumping water. They pumped over a billion liters of water out of the cave. I'm from America, so I have no idea how much that is, but it sounds like a lot. It's, it's liters, I don't know. Sounds like a lot of Coke bottles. So July 8th, 
They, they went in on the 23rd of June. On July 8th, they finally rescued the first group. And it took three days to rescue all of them because they had to, it, it was a crazy operation. They rescued four at a time. They would send four divers in and each diver was attached to one boy. And then they had to, they had to get them out. Not one of the boys on the team knew how to swim. And so they had to go through some, some pretty significant challenges underwater. And so they they taught, they sent some divers in who stayed with them until they were all rescued, and those divers taught them how to use a breathing mask, and, and they put them in wetsuits that would, that would naturally make them float, and then they realized the boys didn't know how to swim, so all the teaching wasn't going to matter, so they, they realized they were going to panic when they went through the water, and so they ended up bringing a doctor in who gave them anesthesia and sedated them, so they were, they were out, but he, he didn't want to give them too much, so they actually had to stop on the way out and re-sedate them because they started waking up. It took about two to three hours to get, get them out, one, one, one at a time, get them out of the cave. When they went in and they decided, like, who's going to go first? They thought they would just take volunteers. Like, who's going to be the bravest to get in the water and do the, this process? And the boys having no idea how big of a deal this was and how all the world was watching, they voted and they decided that the boys who lived the farthest away from home, or who were the farthest away from home, would be the first to go out because in their minds they thought they're going to have the longest ride on their bike when they get out to get home and tell their parents they're okay. That was literally their thought process. And of course, they, they got them all out. There was one... one uh, Navy SEAL from Thailand who actually died in the process of rescuing them, but they got them all out, got them to the hospital, everybody's fine. It, it, it's, just a, it's just a crazy story. It, it's an amazing story. When you, when you read through the details of everything that they had to do in order to get them out, they had to stop halfway and re change out the air tanks because the air tanks were depleted. So they had gone in and stored air tanks about halfway in so that they could get out and change them out and then keep going in this three-hour journey to get them out. It's an amazing story. And these rescue stories like that are always amazing. You stop and you go, man, that's, that's crazy. Like the, the, the heroic acts of somebody that is willing to put their life on the line to go and rescue somebody that can't help themselves. It's always an amazing story. And the Christmas story is a rescue story. Fundamentally, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about Jesus coming to earth, God taking on flesh, walking among us, coming and being born as a baby, but coming to die on a cross because this story is fundamentally a rescue Story. It's God on a rescue mission to save us. The Christmas story is a rescue story. Matthew seems to be hinting at that in the way he starts his gospel. Last week we started this and we look at the long list of names, the genealogy. And if you weren't here last week, I'm so, so sorry for you because Nick sang the genealogy for us. So all 46 names, he sang them, we found a song it was, it was fantastic. They didn't put it on the podcast. They, I lost that boat, but it was great. I thought he should do it again because there were so many people out for the holiday, but he said no. I just keep losing. So Matthew starts with the genealogy because he's establishing that Jesus is the Messiah. He's establishing his pedigree. He's establishing his ancestry. He's like, the Messiah was going to come. The prophets told us he's going to come from the line of David, from, from Abraham. 
There's a specific lineage that everybody knew to look for the Messiah. And this Jesus guy who had taught and done all these things, nobody really knew his background. Nobody really knew where he's from. In fact, they said that he was from Nazareth. Nobody really knew the story until Matthew started writing that he was from, born in Bethlehem, the city of David, because he was in the line of David. So Matthew is establishing his lineage and establishing that truth that he is the one. He's the one that was promised and he came from the right family tree. But then as Matthew begins to tell the story of Jesus' birth, as he begins to get into the details, he begins to not just give us the actual events of the story, begins to show us this proclamation of the angels that was kind of hinting at what Jesus came to do. It wasn't just that he was born of the right family. It wasn't just that he was the long-expected one, but there was a specific rescue mission involved. And so if you look at verse 21... The angel's talking in the story, and he says, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Back up in verse 18, he says, Matthew starts the story, and he says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When he says Jesus Christ, and I know it seems like we say this every year, because I think it's important to remember that that's Jesus Christ is not like his name as much as it is a title. Like Christ is not his last name. You guys know that, right? Like we, I feel like we just need to remind ourselves that it wasn't, yeah, this was the son of Joseph and Mary Christ. They had, they had Jesus Christ and then they had some other kids. There's James Christ and Samantha Christ. I, I don't know, like they, this is that's not his last name. His name was a title. So Jesus meant Savior. It's, it's literally Yahweh or the Lord saves. It's the Old Testament name, Joshua. And it means God to the rescue. That's what his name means, Jesus, God to the rescue. It's a rescue mission. And Christ is a title. It's the, it means Messiah. It means King. It means Lord. It means the anointed one. He's the one we've been waiting for to come in and establish God's kingdom on earth. Christ is not his last name, it's a title pointing to who he is and what he's done and why he's come. And so then the angel says, we're going to call him Jesus because God's on a rescue mission. God to the rescue. He's going to save his people from their sins. It's just a reminder for us that this is a rescue story. And what, what it should do for us is it should remind every single one of us that we need to be rescued. That's the reality. Mark, when we started our service, Mark prayed for this story that we've heard hundreds of times that the gravity of the story would sink in. Such a great way to pray that. Such a great way to phrase that. That the story that's so familiar, that the gravity that we needed to be rescued would sink in. That we were hopeless. That we were cut off. That we had no chance of getting out of that position that we were in. But God to the rescue, the Lord saves. Jesus came to this earth, born as a baby, living on this earth, taking on flesh, experiencing the whole realm of what we experience as humans, yet without sin, so that he could take our place on that cross and rescue us and save us from our sins. That's the gravity. That's the seriousness. That's the the weight of the story that needs to sit with us, that needs to rest with us, that we were desperate. We had no hope. We didn't need just a little help. 
We didn't need just Jesus to come and teach us some things and to give us an example and to show us how to do things better. This is how you're supposed to live. We, we needed way more than that because we needed to be rescued. And it's so easy sometimes, it's so easy to look at Jesus and go, man, he's a great teacher and he taught some great things. He taught us how to love each other and we should love our neighbor. We should even love our enemies. There's so many good things that he taught us, so many practical things, but we needed so much more than good teaching. Man, Jesus is an amazing example. He's fantastic. It's like you want to model your life after the best leader, the greatest leader, just look at him. He was a servant leader. He served those, and they followed him because of it. And so he's a great example. But let's just be honest today. We need so much more than just an example. The Christmas story is a rescue story. Because we all need to be rescued. And so I, I say that and I'm worried about it. I say that I'm worried about it because in our culture, in, in the Bible Belt culture that we live in, and, and, and guys, please understand, we say Bible Belt culture all the time because it's just the reality. And it always sounds like we say it in a negative way. There's a lot of great things and a lot of advantages to the fact that we live in the Bible Belt. But there's, with those advantages, there's some pitfalls. With those advantages, there's some warnings. And in our Bible Belt culture, sometimes what we do is we don't recognize the gravity of our sin. We don't recognize the hopelessness of our condition. We don't fully embrace this truth that we were desperate and we had no hope until Jesus showed up. And you see it in a lot of different ways in the Bible Belt culture that we live in. You see... Um, you, you see this different viewpoint of Jesus that we all seem to have, and it's just this different mentality that we look to Jesus for some things, but we don't look to Jesus for the, the most important things. We, we, we tend to forget that we were desperate and hopeless and cut off and, and needed to be rescued, and so we, we see Jesus and the value that he has in a lot of different areas of our life, and we kind of just treat him as if he's a... He's a, a life coach or an assistant to us. So you see it in a lot of different ways. You see, some people look at Jesus and they go, man, Jesus, what I need, I got, my life is, it's just difficult sometimes. There's just a lot of stress involved in my life. And I need Jesus to kind of come in and just make things a little bit easier, make things run a little bit more smoothly. And so what people do is they have like a Valvoline type of Jesus approach. You got Valvoline Jesus, you just add a little Jesus into the rough parts of your life. And he will, he will smooth things out. He'll, he'll keep things running. There'll be no, no breakdown, no viscosity, whatever that is. There'll be, there'll be none of that in your life because valvoline Jesus will just keep things running smooth. And I'm not saying Jesus doesn't do that, but I also want to clarify that he doesn't promise that. He doesn't promise to take away all your problems and make everything smooth in your life. He came for a much bigger purpose than that. But sometimes that's all we tend to see or think about with Jesus. And then sometimes it's just like, well, there's some stuff in my life that I, I think I could use some attention and I, it could help if Jesus would come and fix some of the things that are wrong in my life. So we think of duct tape Jesus. I mean, Jesus can fix anything. So you get, you get a little duct tape Jesus in your life and those couple things that you have going wrong, those couple broken relationships, those couple things that you... I just need some help. I need a little bit of, just a little bit of Jesus to hold things together, to keep things from falling apart. 
need some duct tape, Jesus. And like, it's not that these things are wrong. They're just missing the big picture. They're missing the truth of the story. They're missing the whole, we had no hope. You don't need just a little Jesus to fix a couple things. We were completely broken. Nothing could fix us. All the king's men and their horses are not going to put us back together. This is not going to work. Duct tape, even duct tape won't fix our problems. Sometimes we see it that way, right? And then sometimes we just look at it and we go, you know what? I just have a lot of anxiety. I have a lot of fear. And I'm, I, I want to I be safe. And so we look to Jesus to keep us safe. We look to nightlight Jesus. Just kind of take away some of the boogeyman in the dark. You know, like I... There's anxiety in my life. There's fear in my life. I'm kind of stressed out about these things. So I need nightlife, Jesus. This is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. That, boy, that'll keep you safe and, or scare you to death. So nightlight Jesus is just like, yeah, man, safety's so big for me. And I, I've got some fear in my life. And I need Jesus to come in and just, just keep me safe. Jesus, he can do that doesn't necessarily promise that, especially when you read your Bible, but he, he can do that. But that's missing the point of what we need. That's missing the truth of the story. And some people say, well, I just need, I just need my life like freshen up a little bit. You need Febreze, Jesus. Just, I mean, be honest, there's some things about my life that kind of stink. I just need some fresh harvest pumpkin Febreze, Jesus, to freshen things up in my life. Not what we need. M- missing the, the big picture. And some, sometimes if we're honest, we think, you know what I need? I need, I need help with my finances. That's, that's what I really need. I need some help with my finances. And so we, we, we look to checkbook Jesus. We go, Jesus, I need you to just help me sort out my finances. Now, let me just stop right here and say to all my millennial friends, this is a checkbook. It's just, uh, you, write, you write on here what you want to pay somebody and give them this, and it's almost like real money. And this is, this is a checkbook. Now, you're looking at me like, okay, boomer, but this is, this, is, this is a checkbook. And so sometimes we need checkbook Jesus to come in and, and, and to help us out. And he, he can. That, that crown financial class, like, there's a lot of biblical principles, and Jesus guides that, and he absolutely can help you. But you, you and I need more than that. We need to be rescued. Sometimes people think, you know what? I think everything's pretty good, but I just have a couple bad habits I need to kick in my life. Just need, need to quit doing some, some things that are destructive. Does anybody know what I'm talking about with this whole idea of I got some bad habits I need to quit? Anybody? Theo, do you know what I'm talking about? What, what, do, we, what do we mean? Oh, the Jesus patch. Can you stand up and show everybody your Jesus patch? So that, that'll help you, help you quit bad things. Thank you, Theo. Like, word on the street says that you put that on last night and then you burned all your secular CDs right after that, right? Do you even know what that means? No. It's all good. But like, sometimes we look at this and go, yeah, I got some bad stuff going on. I bet Jesus can help me with that. And there's no doubt he can set you free from that bondage, but that's... Guys, we need more than that. We really, really do. 
And some people look at Jesus and they say, yeah, he's got so much wisdom and I got so many things I don't know what to do next. I need some decision-making help. And so you think of the magic eight ball Jesus. I know why I need Jesus. I need him to help me sort out these major life decisions. Who should I marry, Jesus? Should I marry that girl? Doubtful. Uh, that's... <laughs> And we look to Jesus for all these things, and they're all good things. They're all helpful things. But they're missing the big picture. They're missing the truth of what the scriptures tell us. They're missing the truth, the essential fundamental truth of the Christmas story, and that is that we need a rescue. Every single one of us are in the same boat. The Bible tells us that we are dead in our sins and our trespasses. We're dead. We, we need to be brought back to life. Dead people don't do much. The Bible says spiritually we are dead, and because of our spiritual death apart from Christ that we're cut off from him. We're alienated. We don't have a people to belong to. The Bible says that we are without God and without hope in the world. And people like that need to be rescued. People like that need, to, need a savior. People like that, they don't need just a little help along the way. They don't need just a little encouragement or a little advice or a little teaching. No, people like that need to be rescued. And that's what the Bible teaches us. And so when we look at Jesus as only that and we forget how much we need to be rescued, then we can... We can really, really struggle because we end up in some places that we don't want to be. And we can see those examples in the scriptures. We can, we can see Jonah sitting out there on the side of that mountain watching Nineveh, waiting for it to burn because he thinks he deserves God's righteousness. And those Ninevites, those horrible people, do not deserve it. And he thinks somehow he's earned God's righteousness by the way he's lived and the family he's been brought up into. And he misses the fact that the Ninevites need to be rescued by God and Jonah needed to be rescued by God. If we miss it, we'll find ourselves passing judgment on others very easily and very quickly. We'll find uh, just a, a really hard place to engage the world on mission and to really go into the world with this great gospel news because we drift into this thinking that I was pretty good. I just needed a little bit of help instead of the truth of the Bible that we absolutely had no hope. We were enemies of God, but God, in his mercy, because of his grace, because of his love, he sent Jesus. This Christmas story develops because God is on a rescue mission to rescue you and to rescue me and to rescue the whole world from our hopelessness. And so on Christmas, in this season, as you approach this season and all that it has to offer, all the good, all the bad, all the distractions, all of it, would you just let this gravity of this really like rest with you? Would you let it just kind of guide you through this season? Would you, would you lean in and, and just embrace the fact that the Bible teaches us that we all needed a rescuer. We needed a savior. We needed someone to come to us 
and do everything for us. That was what was a great thing to me about that story of the Thailand rescue mission is that those, those boys couldn't swim. They couldn't get themselves out. They had to be sedated. They had to just be, there was a couple of times when they had to push them through very small areas in the rocks, push them through. They're completely unconscious and they're just, the divers are pushing them through. Those divers did everything for them. They did nothing. They offered nothing. And that's what we needed. We needed Jesus to come and do everything because we, we didn't offer anything. We, we couldn't offer anything. We couldn't bring anything to the table. We couldn't make it right. We couldn't say, yeah, let me help you, Jesus. I'll help you. I'll help myself. I'll climb up over here and then you'll take it from there. No, we needed him to come all the way to where we were and to bring us out of that pit all the way to eternity. We had no hope. So would you, would you just embrace that? Would you lean into that? This Advent time is a time when we're kind of trying to remember what it must have felt like before Jesus had ever shown up. We're trying to anticipate his coming, which is always hard for us because we know the story. We know he came a couple thousand years ago. It's always a little bit hard, but these kinds of truths will help us. And if we can sit with this truth and lean in and embrace this truth, it'll help us to really anticipate the hope that comes, the joy that comes. It'll make Christmas morning so much more special than just some presents under a tree. It'll be this amazing rescue story that I didn't have a chance without him. And so the anticipation will build. So let me give you just a, a couple challenges and reminders of what I think it'll do for us if you'll recognize this need, if you'll let this truth kind of really guide you in this season that we needed to be rescued. Recognizing our need for this will help us first remember the true meaning of Christmas. It'll remember, we won't get distracted as easily by all the peripherals. We won't get sidetracked side by, oh, this is this, and I've got to do this, and I've got this list, and I've got to make sure all this happens. We can really kind of stop Take a breath and remember, this was a rescue. I, I didn't have any hope. This whole season is about hope and it's about peace and it's about joy. It's about all these things that we're celebrating and highlighting in the Advent. It's like all those things will come rushing in and we won't miss it if we'll really, really go to this fundamental truth that we were desperate and Jesus rescued us. He saved us. Recognizing our need to be rescued will help us find true and lasting joy. Joy to the world, the angels proclaim. We sing that song. There's another song that says it's the most wonderful time of the year. And sometimes we, we hear those lyrics and we go, yeah, right. This is not wonderful. This is stressful. This is difficult. There's some things about this season that Make, make people grieve more than they celebrate. And if you can push past that and remember that God was on a rescue mission and he rescued you and he rescued me, it'll help you find joy. True, lasting joy. Joy is not dependent upon your circumstances. Joy is not dependent upon what's going on around you at the time. Joy guides you deep down in your heart. Like it's, it's this lasting, eternal understanding that God is in control. And it comes from this truth that he rescued me when I didn't have any hope. So let, lean into the truth of that. Lean into your need and find true and lasting joy in that.
And then recognizing our need to be rescued will help us as we engage others. Let's be honest. Some of this season is really, really stressful because some of the people that you have to engage. And it, it, it brings a lot of anxiety. And the cure for that is the gospel. The cure for that is this truth that you and I needed grace as much as anybody else. That you and I needed a rescuer, a savior, as much as anybody else. And when you lean into that truth and when you, when you let that guide you as engage others, you will find yourself being willing to give people more grace because you're reminded of constantly the grace that you've been given. And you guys know I love Paul Tripp and that devotional New Morning Mercies. I'm gonna give you a couple quotes from that focused on this specific idea. Here's the problem. To the, to the degree that you forget the grace that you would be given, to that same degree, it's easier for you not to extend grace to others. To the extent that you forget how much you've been forgiven, to that same extent, it's easier for you not to forgive the people in your life. You see it? You forget that you needed to be rescued and you all of a sudden don't want anybody else to be rescued. You forget how much you were forgiven and then you don't, you don't extend forgiveness. I do it, we all do it all the time. We take our eyes off the gospel and then we treat people accordingly. Put your eyes on Jesus and what he's done for you and then let that flow out of you towards others. So that's a negative picture of it. I wanna give you a positive picture from the same book, Paul Tripp. It is and always has been true that no one gives grace better than a person who's deeply persuaded that he needs it himself and that it has been graciously supplied by God of tender mercy. That should be true of us, that we should be the most grace-giving people around to everyone within our body, within your family, and in our culture. And we should be characterized by people who give grace. Why? Because of the grace that we've received. Because we realize we had no hope and he rescued us. So for most of us in here, that's a reminder today. That's a, hey, yeah, remember, you and I, we had nothing. We were completely hopeless without him and he rescued us, we need to be rescued. For some of you in here, that truth has never connected to you personally. That's never become your story of you understanding, I needed to be rescued, I was cut off from God, I was hopeless, and you've thought, I'm just trying to do this as good as I possibly can, and the Bible tells you you cannot do it. There's no path there. there there's nothing in the Bible that says that we're gonna find our way to God. That's impossible. The Bible teaches that God found his way to us and he rescued us. And if you're sitting there today and you're listening to me and you're saying, I don't know for sure that's true. I don't know for sure for me that that's true, that God has rescued me, that I've moved from death to life, from darkness to light, that I've put my faith and trust in Jesus the rescuer and I'm banking all of my eternity on that. If that's you, please come talk to us. Talk to somebody that invited you here. Talk to somebody that's sitting next to you and tell them, hey, how can I know for sure that I've been rescued? Don't miss it this Christmas season. And as we're all reminded of it together, let's worship him in response to that. Let's pray. God, thank you for the truth of your word. 
Thank you for the reminder that I need, I think we all need, that we needed to be rescued, that we weren't doing this okay and needed a little help. And so God, I pray that you would continue to allow us to respond to that truth. Let the gravity of that, that truth from Matthew's gospel really sink in so that our worship becomes that true response to what you've done for us that we could not do for ourselves. And God, we're thankful today for the rescue that you've provided. It's in the name of Jesus, our Savior, our Rescuer, that we pray. Amen. We're going to get to take the Lord's Supper together, and it's a reminder of the rescue. It's a reminder of the sacrifice. It's a reminder that when he came to rescue us, that it cost him his life, body broken, blood poured out to provide the rescue because that was our only hope. So take the bread, take the cup. If you're trusting in Jesus, take that. We'll worship together at the end. I'll come back and as a family, we will celebrate and proclaim the rescue together as we take it at the end of the song. Sir. 
for that. The greatest rescue stories we can tell or come up with, don't hold a candle to this one. This one is amazing. We get to stop during this season and remind ourselves that we had no hope and he came to rescue us. And the, the way that he rescued us, you want to take this to the next level, he rescued us from God's wrath. He rescued us from the punishment that we should have experienced from God because of our sin and our rebellion. And the only way he could do that was to take our place. So rescuing us for all eternity cost him his life. God takes on flesh, lives on this earth, and dies in our place. Why? Because that was our only hope. We needed to be rescued. His body broken, his blood poured out. It provides our hope forever. Take and eat. Take and drink. Amen. I'm invite you to continue to worship with us. We will stand and sing another song, and we're also going to take up an offering so Checkbook Jesus can do his work on your finances. So go ahead and stand. God rest ye merry gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day. To save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy. He has come for us, this Jesus. He's the hope for all mankind. He has come for us, the Messiah. And shepherds brought tidings all the same. How that in Bethlehem was born a son of God by name. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy. 